you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number two now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning to you. Appreciate you being here on a Wednesday, 26th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2022. We are always right. We are never left. We are always right. We are never wrong because we do the work. We do the push-ups, as a friend of mine likes to say, before we bring you the information. So here's one of the push-ups. Didn't have to do a lot of work on this one. It just came across my screen, two screens, in fact, via text message and email. An update in the polling in the Ohio gubernatorial race. The bespectacled buffoon, known as the Little Napoleon, known by me anyway as such, Captain Lockdown, uh, Captain Destroy Ohio's Economy, Captain Take Away uh, Ohio's Freedom, Captain uh, Let's Destroy Kids and Their School Experiences, you know, the guy, Mike DeWine. Uh, He's in some trouble. New poll shows that he is trailing gubernatorial candidate and former Ohio, uh, uh, congressman from Ohio's 16th Congressional District, Jim Renacy, by eight points, now about roughly four months away from the May 3rd Republican primary. What does that mean? And uh, does it mean anything at this point in time? 46% Renacy, 38% Mike DeWine. That's the polling that I've got in front of me, and I think we should probably get an answer from that, from or to that, rather, from... Uh, Mr. Renacy himself, former Congressman Jim Renacy, Ohio gubernatorial candidate. Good to have you back on the program. How are you this morning? Bob, how are you? Not as good as you. I'm not up eight points. That's got to feel pretty good, right? (laughs) Well, Bob, it's interesting because, you know, when you put polls out like this, people say, oh, you know, where'd you get the poll? And, oh, how'd you get the information? And um, I will tell you that Fabrizio Lee is one of the top three Republican pollsters in the country, and it was his poll back in May and June of this year that actually uh, was the one that made me decide to get in because it showed that I was eight or nine points up at that point in time. And then ever since then, I keep hearing all the naysayers, oh, DeWine's winning, DeWine's winning. And, and of course, we've seen a polls that show he wasn't winning. So I dove back in um, and said, uh, and of course, with talking with Brad Parscale, who's advising me, I said, well, Let's go back in and see. And quite frankly, um, I had no idea what this poll would show, but we did go a little deeper. We went 800 sample, which is much stronger. Uh, Anybody who understands statistical polling will say when you go in with 800 random samples, um, that is a very strong poll. And it was 800 phone calls uh, in, 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 in Texas, but it was 20 minutes worth of discussion. So, it was a very expensive poll, but it got us a lot of information. But tell here's me, what it told us. Tell me, before you do that, tell me what random means. Uh, because I think it's probably pretty clear that you have a lot higher name recognition in Northeast Ohio than you might down in Hamilton County, for example. So uh, how random in terms of the entire state were, were the 800 samples? Well, what you do in polling, and, and it's an interesting art that I've had to learn, you, you have to get to 800 people. See, a lot of people just do, well, I've, I, I asked 1,500 people via a text message. Well, that's not a good poll. This is, this is talking to people randomly. And then what you do is you take the votes that normally come out of the state. First off, 
It's 824,000 Republicans in the state of Ohio were anticipated to get more than 824,000 votes this election. So the random sample, you go back and you take four of the last primaries, and everybody that voted in four in the four last primaries, whether you voted once or all four times, are in that sample. So if you are a primary voter in the last four cycles, you become part of that sample. And then you randomly select from that sample until you get 800 people to talk with you and until you get a sample that represents what the, uh, where the Republican vote votes are. So that's why if you go to the polling memo, um, you know, 30% from Cleveland, 21% from Columbus, 15% from Cincinnati, 13% from Dayton, that is the normal uh, place where Republican voters come from, and that's the percentage, approximate percentage where they come from. So they're randomly selected until you get 800 that meet that quote, that, that, uh, that, that uh, sample size. Okay. That, that's a very detailed explanation, and I really appreciate that. That's good to know. So it sounds as random as random can be. Then after, though, now when you look at the 800 people who were, uh, you know, who were, who were selected here or who, who made the cut, if you will, do you have a breakdown by geographic location in the state as to where they all came from? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I say it, 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 and it's based on where the votes normally come from in primary. So 30% out of Cleveland, 21% out of Columbus, 15% out of Cincinnati, 13%. These are, these are sample sizes of normal elections. Based that, on where uh, the votes where come the votes from come. in the last four. Okay, good. That's 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 a yeah. very yeah that that's a very specific poll and that's a very deep uh, that's a good deep dive into it. So I apologize, I cut you off when you said, "Here's what we learned." Tell me what you learned from this. So so what we learned, uh, which was kind of interesting, is that nothing's changed with the wine. Back in um, May, when we did a, a very similar poll, the wine was losing to me head to head. What we also learned. Uh, back in May, was that DeWine was very unpopular. And again, in January, he continues to be very unpopular. In fact, um, he now has 50% of Ohioans that say, 33% say they will definitely not vote for him, uh, and 17 cents they will probably vote against Mike DeWine for governor, but it depends on who runs against him in the primary. So that is a 50% marker, which is an incumbent governor. And then you then you reverse that, how many will definitely vote for Mike DeWine? 14%. And how many will probably vote for Mike DeWine, but it depends on who runs against him in the Republican primary? 18%. So even if you give him all of those votes, that's 32% against 50% who will likely or not vote for him. He is definitely a, a Republican governor who is not liked and, and, Bob, it's one of the reasons, as I travel the state, he never comes out. He's a Biden basement campaigner, because if he comes out and talks to Republicans, they boo him. So you'll never see him out talking um, and, and talking with Republicans, because this poll, which was exactly representative of what we saw in, in June, says the exact same thing, that uh, 50 to 51 percent of Ohioans really do not want him reelected, and only 32 percent do want uh, to potentially support him, uh, which is not good, as I say, for an incumbent governor. Um, 
It's interesting to compare it to Biden's strategy because it worked for Biden. Again, if you believe the outcome of the election and setting aside all of the examples of fraud and the irregularities in the election of the election in several states, if you believe Biden won fair and square, it worked for him to just kind of stay low uh, and, uh, and, and, and not make a lot of noise and just let people think everything is okay, it's business as usual, incumbent governor, you know, Ohio won, you know, Trump won Ohio, everything's okay in the state, let's just ride it for as long as we can. Um, do, do you think that, you know, there, there might be some merit to his strategy considering Biden laid it out and it worked? Well, Biden, you know, again, the problem was... Um, the strategy that he that Dwine's using, Dwine actually, if you notice, has has a different strategy. He's coming out and spending money, so he's coming out and saying he just started this week. By the way, isn't it interesting? Um, because I've had people call me and saying, "Well, how do you know this poll's right?" Well, hey, let's see Mike Dwine's internal poll. I mean, if if uh, I mean, it's I know question. what I believe. Yeah, I know what I believe is his in- internal poll shows the exact same thing. So why why is he now spending money? trying to say he cut taxes, trying to say he's pro-life, trying to say all the things that he needs to do and say. Why, why did the Intel plant uh, surprise come out in January instead of April? I mean, somebody asked me the other day, don't you think that him bringing Intel in in January hurt you? And I go, no, it would have hurt me in April. I said, but the problem is it came out in January, and now I get to determine over the next couple months how much did that cost the taxpayers? I was just told yesterday that was a billion-dollar cost to the taxpayers because, you know, Intel would not come to Ohio when there are 40 other states that are better business climates, better tax climates. So why would they come to Ohio? As I was talking to somebody yesterday, they said, because we paid them to come to Ohio. Absolutely. So there are people that say that cost a billion dollars, but why would you put that out in January? I think my poll, my internal polling, does reflect what Ohioans think. And I do believe DeWine knows he's in trouble. And that's why he announced spending to try and change the perspective. And that's why he announced this Intel um, uh, plant coming in that's going to cost Ohio taxpayers whatever. I can't confirm the number. Bob, here's what's interesting. I the other number, six. if I may, sir, uh, the other um, the other number that has to be considered here, which, of course, they're banking on, is 12,000. I have read that they can expect this to create roughly 12,000 jobs. So they're going to say, hey, there's a huge cost to the taxpayers, but uh, we're getting it back and putting people back to work. Well, so here's my response to that. We've lost 480,000 jobs because of the pandemic. Um, and, and, Bob, I chuckle because anybody that's a sports fan like I am, they say to me, so how do you respond to that? Oh, I said, it's like it's like a triple in the eighth inning with the bases loaded, and you score three runs, and you stand up, and you clap, and you cheer, but then you look up at the scoreboard, and you're still losing 15-3. to three. The problem is we have been losing and losing and losing under the Dwine administration, and yes, he may have hit a triple. How much did that triple cost? I don't know, but we're still losing 15-3, to three, and that's the problem. We can't be buying jobs. We have to be changing policy, and that's the real key. This administration likes to buy votes and buy friendship and buy jobs. My administration will make sure that jobs come here because we have a great climate for jobs. We have a great uh, tax policy. We have a great you know, regulatory policy. Those are the things we need to sustain it. This is a, an expense to taxpayers, quite frankly, that it will cost us 20 years down the road while DeWine's gone. And we have to be able to do better, and and that's where this administration has failed. And that's what the poll reflects, by the way. 
We are talking with Jim Renacci, of course, candidate for uh, Ohio governor. He's uh, primarying Mike DeWine. A lot of really good stuff there about DeWine, and uh, your points are well taken, particularly with respect to buying jobs and so forth. But I'm going to ask you about uh, another guy now, because you and I talked about this last time I had you on, and that is Joe Blystone's impact on the anti-DeWine vote. Um, Quite frankly, I don't necessarily think he's a serious candidate. I understand there was a Zoom forum uh, that was being held for all Republican candidates just last week, um, and it was an opportunity for the leaders of conservative groups to call in and ask questions of all of you guys, and he skipped it, the way he has skipped several other debate-style or types of events. So I don't know what he's hiding from, but he's still there, and he still has a, a significant number of supporters. Um the poll you just cited where you're up eight on Mike DeWine, I'm assuming, is head-to-head. Does it change, or do you have any idea how much it changes when you include another person who is an anti-DeWine uh, candidate? Yeah, very little. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not going to talk or even give him any credibility, because he's not a credible candidate. I don't I think mean, he is either, and I was reticent right. to ask you that. But, I mean, like I yeah. said, the fact is he's still there. He's being invited to events and so forth. He's turning them down, but he's still there. And I know that even if it's, you know, a, a, a 2 or 3% of the of the vote, something he might draw, if you add that to your t- total, uh, it strengthens, you know, it strengthens your, your chances of beating Mike DeWine. Well, here's here's what's so important about what we saw. Um, if you go to the, so Mike Dwine has a 99.9% name ID. Mm-hmm. Jim Renese has a 75%, approximately 75% name ID. So 25% of Ohioans still don't know who Jim Renese is. If you go, and, and, and we tested those 25% who don't know who Jim Renese is, and they're looking for, um, somebody other than Mike Dwine. 70% are looking for somebody other than Mike Dwine. So if you test that, if you ask those, which we did, that's why this poll was expensive. If you ask those people, you know, here's who Jim Renacy is, here's who Mike DeWine is, and then you go back later and say, okay, in a three-way race, um, who would you select? Uh, and by the way, there were some Blystone people that, that answered questions. I, 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 you know, they, they said, but, there, but it, was, it was not significant enough to worry about, but we learned from it. Um, but here's what we found out. Of those 25%, 50 to 60% come break to Jim Renacy. So then, if you ask the same question, who are you voting for? I get 52% of the vote, and Mike DeWine drops down to 23% of the vote. Now, we haven't put that out there. I, I think we've pushed it out on some text messages, but it's a landslide victory. So we're going to continue our campaign for the next three months. We'll be going after that 25% who don't know Jim Renacy and making sure they get to to know Jim Renacy. That third candidate that you mentioned, we also asked the question, if you knew Mike DeWine would win by voting for that candidate, would you vote for them? 50% said no, 50% said yes. So our goal will be to continue to soften that. But this is clearly a race between Jim Renacy and Mike DeWine. Um, And and, uh, look, if we just get our message out and our name out and the difference between Jim Renacy and Mike DeWine I win this race. Mike Dwine, on the other hand, is going to have to spend a tremendous amount of money trying to tell people he is pro-life, even though he didn't shut down abortion clinics during the, uh, you know, during COVID, and even though he hired a um, uh, a pro-abortion medical director. So every time he comes up and talks about that stuff, 
uh, we're going to come back and say, well, if you're pro-life, why didn't, why didn't you do this? And yeah. he's going to talk about how he cut taxes. And we're going to say, well, if you cut taxes and the administration is so well, why are we 37th in the state from tax favor, 37th in the country for tax favorability? And why are our property taxes up 400%? You see, there are, if people just understand, they walk away from Mike DeWine, Mike DeWine will have to spend money to try and save himself. Um, and we'll see what happens. We will indeed. It'll be interesting to see uh, when we get you and uh, Mike DeWine on the same stage. Hopefully at some point we will. You know, We've been talking about candidate forums and opportunities and so forth, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how he responds to some of this when he goes face-to-face and voice-to-voice with you. Jim Renacci, candidate uh, for governor. Great news on the poll. Congratulations on that. I know you're, uh, you've are you got the pedal to the metal. you got four months. Is it a sprint at this point? Do we call it a sprint four months out? Uh, we are going to be sprinting. We think it's time to just uh, keep moving. Uh, we have a team that is on the ground. We're door knocking now. We're, uh, we're making phone calls. Uh, we are text messaging. We're going to go up and do some TV. We're going to go into radio. It is time that we make sure that everybody remembers the real Mike DeWine and, uh, and, and knows who Jim Renacci is. So we're going to try and sprint this in the next couple months and, and, uh, and as I say in football analogy uh, or baseball analogy, it's time to finish him off um, in, the, in, the, in the game. And uh, our goal will be, as he's going up to try and promote him, we're going to go in and try and make sure people know who the real Mike DeWine is. Even if he hits that ninth inning triple to make it 15-3. to three. <laughs> you got to fish him off. Well, if he, hits the, if he hits the ninth inning triple, it's 15-6, to six, he still loses. <laughs> yes. Jim and AC, thank you for the time. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk again. All right, thank you. All right, that's uh, Jim Renacci. It's 1025. This is Always Right. We'll be right back. If you've ever wished you could declare political bankruptcy, I declare bankruptcy! Keep your radio tuned to Always Right with Bob France. If you declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. Monday at 1420, the answer. Oh, my. Oh my, that's all I can say. Because of something that was just sent to me by a friend. Um, Everyone has been wondering, quite obviously, whether or not Donald Trump is going to run again in 2024. Everybody wants to know, is he going to have another, another bite at this apple? Does he want his job back? And he's been coy, he's been dropping some hints here and there. I think most people kind of think he will be. But he's been kind of coy about it, like I said. He won't answer an interviewer directly. He didn't answer me directly when I had him on this past June. Um, <laughs> yet here we are. He's on the he's on the tee. He's playing a round of golf with friends, and I don't know who they are. And I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try to play this from my phone because this they sent they sent me the link to this video here and I I don't have it in a computer where I can give you the best audio quality. I'm just going to hold my phone up to the microphone and I'm going to let you t- hear this. This is Donald Trump putting the tee into the ground and getting ready to tee off at a hole at an unknown golf course, but he's there with friends and this video has been tweeted and I'm going to play it for you and see if I can give you any kind of decent quality with this. Here we go. You so lucky, to, lucky to be one up. Lucky. Yes, we'll be lucky. We'll be lucky. We're up. 
First on T, 45th President of the United States. 45th and 47th. 47th. Yes. I love that. Mr. Donald Trump. Did you hear it? Donald Trump refuses to to announce whether he's going to run again for the Republican nomination in 2024 to any interviewer. Hannity has asked him. Uh, the Fox and Friends people have asked him. I mean, he's been on countless numbers of shows. I think Hugh Hewitt has asked him. Everybody he's been on with has asked him, are you going to run, are you going to run? And he always says, we're making that decision, and we'll see. But <laughs> playing a round of golf with a bunch of friends, let's hear it again. 45th president of the United States. 45th and 47th. 47th, yes. He describes himself as the 45th and 47th president of the United States. Anybody still wondering whether or not Donald Trump is in? Holy cow. Just, I mean, you talk about, talk about just a jaw dropper. And I love the fact, by the way, that when he golfs, he wears his Trump national shirt and his red Make America Great Again hat. Donald Trump says 45th and 47th president of the United States. What do you think of that? We'll take a time out here for news and come back. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1037. I count 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left in this broadcast. And we're going to come back to this, but I want you to hear it again because, like I said, it's kind of a jaw dropper. And if you are on social media and not yet on Getter, <clears throat> excuse me, which is where those of us who have been um, suspended and booted from um, the liberal platforms like Twitter and Facebook too often. Uh, we go over to Getter now, which is G-E-T-T-R. If you're there, follow me at AlwaysWriteWHK, and you'll see the video that I just posted that includes Donald Trump, maybe inadvertently, maybe he was just goofing around. I don't know. But all I know is that every interview he has ever done since the end of the uh, you know 2020 elections uh, season, if you will, including the interview he did with me, he refused to answer directly whether he was going to run again in 2024. But whether this is in an inadvertent admission or in just a clown show, he's goofing around as he tees up the ball at Trump National with friends. This is what he said. First on T, 45th President of the United States. 45th and 47th. 47th. Yes. I love that. Mr. Donald Trump. 45th and 47th. Did he just announce he's running again? This this is a shockwave, man. I I can't look past that. We will talk more about that. Now let's talk about something that is extraordinarily important in its own right. And that is, I don't know, maybe the health, the liberty, the freedom, the mental health of our children and mask mandates, which, of course, uh, continue to be a huge issue in schools around the country. Parents in Texas have been asking Governor Greg Abbott for help fighting school district mask mandates. Lauren Davis is a parent who uh, agreed that Dallas Independent School District had become a hostile learning environment because of the mask mandates, and she is one who has seen her children suffer being cited by the district and threatened 
with being kicked out of school if they don't keep those muzzles on their faces. Lauren Davis joins us right now to discuss this and talk about the seriousness of this here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Ms. Davis, thank you so much for the time. How are you this morning? Thank you. I'm great. I appreciate you having me. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. I understand you are also a judicial candidate, yes? Uh, yes, I'm running for Dallas County Judge. So it's not a typical judicial position. It is the CEO of the county. Oh. And yes, and the one that is causing all of these mandates to be a thing here in, in the Dallas area. I'm glad to hear you say that. Okay, I didn't realize it was that kind of a judge. I um, I talk to folks in Harris County from time to time, so I do understand how that is run in uh, counties in Texas. So good to know that that's what you're running for. You're running to essentially run that county and perhaps try to protect kids. Um, before we talk about it from a policy standpoint, give me the personal experiences that your children have had with respect to mask mandates and their uh, their refusal or maybe by per your instructions to to comply. Tell us what happened to them. Sure. Um, at the beginning of the school year, we're, our public school system, Dallas ISD, def- decided to defy the governor's order, his ban on mandates, and go ahead and mandate masks. So as a family, we had to make a decision. Do we you know, follow the governor's order? Do we follow the school districts? And we said, we're two years into this pandemic. We've had enough. Our parental rights supersede all government, and we are going to go unmasked. So we spoke to our children, and on the first day of school, they walked in as the only two out of 604 kids in their particular school without a mask. And then the district and school from there decided to treat our family like a political enemy, treat our kids like they were the virus themselves, and absolutely try to break the will of all of us in order to get my kids to comply and our family to comply. Give me some examples, Lauren. If you would be specific here, what what did they do to your children, treating them as you described, as if they were the virus themselves? What did they do? Sure. In that first week of school, they took my 11-year-old daughter during PE class where all the kids should be running around and playing. They took her and put her behind cones, and she had to watch all the other kids play. Kids would come up to her and make fun of her. Um, call her a Karen, and she cried, and there was no teacher intervention. They absolutely condoned what happened to her. And then it escalated from there. So in the second week... I, I, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. How, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I missed it. How, did you say how old your daughter was? She's 11. She's 11. She's 11. Okay. I, I want to get a picture here of a crying 11-year-old uh, in a yeah. classroom and teachers ignoring her as she is singled out and um, expelled from the group. Please continue. Yes. And then it escalated from there. So in the second week all the way up to the 12th week, they were pulled from their classroom, put in the library, the most public place in the school. They were not allowed in the cafeteria with all of their other unmasked peers eating lunch. They were no longer allowed to go to art, music, PE. They weren't even given lessons for several weeks. It completely isolated them from their entire community. And then when that didn't work, and in order to keep all the other kids safe, they took plexiglass and built a floor-to-ceiling enclosure around a small part of the library where they caged them in on full display for the whole school to see. Um, We're talking with Lauren Davis. She's a candidate for Dallas County Judge, which would essentially be kind of like what we have in Cuyahoga County as the executive, chief executive. Um, uh, uh I, I don't know how to ask this without being rude, uh, sure. and I don't mean to be. 
but if I heard you correctly, you said this was from weeks 2 to 10 or 2 to 12, um, that this was going on. How, how could you let that happen for 10 weeks of your children being kept in a box in the library, excluded, um, put on display, and so on and so, so forth for that long? I kind of feel like, and, and I can tell you are a very caring mom, which is why you're bringing this public, but I kind of feel like that would happen for two hours, and I would be down there at that school and pulling my kid out, much less two to ten weeks. Um, did they did they really endure that for that long? Um, they really did that for that long, and I really appreciate that question, and I've gotten that question a lot. And And how we looked at it as a family is we could pull them and – and just go about our lives, and they'll just do this to someone else, or we could stay and fight and hold our ground. And my kids didn't want to leave that school. They've been in that school, my son, since first grade to eighth grade. They had their friends there. We still had hope that the trusted adults would do the right thing, and we eventually have pulled them to homeschool. Um, But during those weeks, we were fighting. We have hundreds of emails to the to the administration, the Dallas ISD school board. We went down and I brought 30 or 40 grandmas and grandpas and other parents um, from other schools down to fight and speak on our behalf. Parents even scheduled protests, three protests outside the school. So we were fighting. But I think at this point in our country, the the war has come into the family and our kids can no longer be shielded from it. They need to be guided through it, which we did as a family, to build a backbone and learn how to stand up and fight because this is their next generation. So instead of shielding them from it, we help them move through it with grace, integrity, and dignity. And they came out stronger. I am very glad to hear that. I hope there are no long-lasting effects. And I mean, like, literally, I'm not trying to overstate this or be melodramatic when i say ptsd but a young child being put on display and being treated the way that she was um and just demonized and ostracized you know and and any other children like that uh, that can have some serious long-lasting mental you know scars i guess um especially at this developmental stage so it's if she's if you know if your kids are good now um and and stronger as you say as a result of it i'm very glad to hear that i hope there are no you know future issues like i said from a psychological standpoint from being treated this way um can you tell me lauren davis uh when uh uh, what time period we're talking about here that this is going on with your kids before you yank them Sure, sure. This was August 16th, the first day of school, um, up and through, um, we pulled them out in uh, November. At, at a midpoint, we were able to win them back to the classroom um, on an exemption, on a 504 disability exemption, but the bullying just increased from there. The community became unhinged, so it's been an ever-evolving situation, but it was very clear to us that we could no longer keep them safe. Teachers were trying to get them kicked out of the school, so then we eventually pulled them out. So we, we tried our hardest and, and fought as long as we could, which is why I'm taking the fight to run for office. You know, uh, it was never in the plan. And we're entrepreneurs in our household, so we, we make our path. We write our own rules. We believe in the American dream. And when the government comes in, shuts our businesses down, we own a chain of barbershops called the Gents Place. And when they come in and, and try to parent my children... I take all my time and talent, and now I'm putting it into county government, where where the real tyranny lies, 
and where we're going to lose our country if we don't stand up and, and take back our county government and take back our school board. Yeah, I, I would not uh, disagree with that at all. Um, were you and your family all alone? Was there any support in the community, any support of other parents in the schools who say this is garbage, this is wrong, advocating for your kids on behalf of, of, of you know, your family's decision here, or was it literally you, know, you against the world? Um, it was literally our family against the world at that time. Absolutely every friend we all had within our family from that school community turned their backs, went silent, or worked against us. And that's the other motivator for me writing this wrong in our society is that mandate and this lawlessness is turning neighbor on neighbor. It's ripping the fabric of our communities apart, and I won't stand for it. So our stand and our fight is for the people who decided they hate us, too, because they just don't understand what's coming. And since then, we've had the, the most awesome group of moms and families who are just deep in their faith and their convention for America come around us and support us. So we've um, replaced our entire community with, with even better people. So we're, we're grateful and completely blessed and through this whole thing. But it, it was it was tough. Neighbor on neighbor. It's an ugly place to be. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine that. And it is everywhere, I think, um, whenever there's disputes like this. It's very passionate and it's very personal. Um I don't know, and I apologize for not knowing where every city is on this now in every school district. Have the mandates been lifted since August when this whole thing started for you guys, or is it still in place at Dallas ISD? It is still in place in Dallas oh ISD. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because I know Governor Abbott lifted go, Governor Governor Abbott lifted you know statewide mask mandates, but not for schools, just for public places and businesses and so on and so forth. Last year, at some point, I don't remember the exact date, but I know he, he lifted, lifted them that. for schools also. So this is indirect. There is a lawsuit going oh, uh, from the county judge's office. Yes, he named schools specifically. So is there what is being done by the state? To to rein in the uh, you know the the actions of uh, of Dallas ISD. That is a great question. Our attorney general has gone and sued several um, ISDs. Clay Jenkins, the current uh, Dallas County judge, he was made famous by putting a salon owner in jail during COVID. He is the one who took the suit, and then Dallas ISD joined in suing um, Governor Abbott for for rights within within the county to state so he's saying no i have the authority over wow. health and human services so it's it's a statewide dispute and you have some following and and not participating in that but you have a very liberal left dallas isd and a few other isds who are just in direct defiance and partnered in that lawsuit so to be clear about this lauren davis you're not a politician looking for a new job, a new seat, a new election, etc. You're a mom who was pushed too far and who just said, "I've got to do something here." And if they won't do it right in this county, then I'll run, I'll run to lead this county. Is that correct? Yes, that is absolutely correct. I never had politician on my vision board anywhere in my life plan. But when things like this happen, we have to come off the sidelines as citizens and and do our service. I look at it as service and um, help be part of the solution. I'm not one to complain. I'm one to take action. I cannot tell you how um, inspiring that is to hear. I mean that very seriously. It's it's inspiring because you're right. 
Um, at some point, we have to stop griping on the radio or writing letters to the editor or making angry posts on our social media. We have to come off the sidelines, as you say. That's why so many people started to run for school board all across this country when we saw what was being done to our children in these schools with respect to indoctrination uh, on critical race theory and gender theory and other things. Uh, people are stepping up. But you, you're taking it to a new level running for county judge, as you say, the CEO, essentially, of the county. Um, I, I salute you. Um, I hope we can stay in touch with you because this is something I think everybody uh, needs to hear, and hopefully others will be inspired perhaps to do the same thing and step up and try to right the wrongs that are being done to our children. I really, really appreciate that. Well, I thank you so much, and I would encourage all parents, business owners, you are highly qualified. When you get in, the establishment's going to tell you you're not, that you are qualified by the fact that you are a citizen and you care. And when you have those two things, you will do a fantastic job. So I really encourage people to stand up. And if you want to follow my journey through this whole process, I have a wonderful campaign website up that has a lot more of the details of, my, of the story of my family as well. What's and that that's site? at davis4dallas.com, the number four, davis4dallas.com. Davis, the number four, dallas.com. I will definitely follow along on that website, and I will wish you and your family the very best, uh, not just in this campaign, but in your battles within the community and friend groups and so on and so forth. I know it's going to be very, very difficult going forward. Uh, God bless you and your family. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lauren Davis, a Dallas mom, pushed too far. And I can see why. And now she's not just pushing back against government. She's going to boot the government if she can convince voters to let her do it. She's going to boot them and do what's right for those kids. Amazing story. 1053, wrapping it up after this. Always right, AM 1420, The Answer. Whatever tomorrow brings. We've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Together on Always Right. We stay together, we survive. With Bob France on AM 420, The Answer. All right, 1056, getting ready to wrap it up right here on AM 1420, The Answer. I had a pretty amazing audio clip right before we did our last interview. Let's see if we can listen to that clip again, huh? Wait a minute. What? Hold on, that's not Donald Trump. Oh, I know what this is. It is happy birthday time to our producer, board operator, incredible bit writer, bumper creator, uh, what else, image designer. He does just about everything I need for this show. Johnny Hiles, who runs our show every day, has been absolutely invaluable to everything that we do on this radio show since he came on board just a few short months ago. He has been incredible. We couldn't do everything we do without him. Marcy will tell you that, and I'm telling you that right now. And I was told by little birdie that uh, Johnny Hiles is celebrating that birthday today. Johnny... We're so glad you're here, my friend. You have been amazing. You have done so much for this show in a short period of time. And uh, I'm very, very thankful that you're here, man. Happy birthday. That's all I'm going to get out of you is a thanks, huh? <laughs> Just a little thanks. A little shy, Johnny. Sometimes genius uh, behind the scenes is uh, is the most incredible kind of genius. And uh, 
I think Johnny fits that very, very well. Are you going to tell us how many little candles on the cake, or are you going to let that go? 28. 28. You're a child. Almost 30. Uh, Don't give me almost 30. God, I remember when I was 28 thinking how much I did not want to turn 30. Because you you don't remember it because you're a child, but there was a TV show called 30-something, and all they ever did, these yuppies who had Volvos in the garage, and they just sat around and complained about how bad middle age was. And they all had money, and they were all living it, living the dream. I never wanted to be a 30-something. God, that was 20 years ago. (laughs) Happy birthday to uh, Johnny Hiles running our show, and I'll let you go ahead and get the out music going now. And as you do that, I am going to replay this audio. We had some breaking news, kind of, sort of. Donald Trump playing a round of golf at Trump National may have confirmed something that everybody has been asking. Are you going to run for president again, sir? Oh, where's my audio? Where's my audio? I got to get. Oh, it's down. Sorry about that. I got to kill the birthday song, and I want to get you this audio again. Hold on, let me uh, let me play it before we're done here, Mr. President. Preston T, forty fifth president of the United States. Forty fifth and forty seventh. Forty seventh. He called himself the forty seventh president. Donald Trump is running again. Thanks. Forty fifth president of the United States. Forty fifth and forty seventh. Forty seventh. He called himself the forty seventh president. Donald Trump is running again. Thanks, everybody. Let's go, Brandon.